Hey, we're continuing on in the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 23, verse 26, and we'll go from there. And the title is Carrying the Cross, Carrying the Cross. And you know, when you're on a mission trip in other countries, typically you will not find what we call convenience stores. Like when I was in Peru and Nicaragua, we had to venture out to go to about like eight to ten different stores to get about two different items we were looking for. And we would talk to the store owner. He or she would be like, oh, you need cleaning supplies. Okay, go down the road, go to the right on the corner. There's someone's wife named whatever. And we would go on a wild goose chase. So we get there, they'd be out. So they would direct us to another store owner across the way. Like it was almost an all-day thing to get a couple of items. But they had no Walmarts there, right? Here in the States, we have a plethora of convenience stores. I mean, I can go to Costco. I can get a chicken. I can get a prescription. I can get tires on my car. I can grab lunch. I can get my eyes checked, and I can book a vacation in one trip. You can get a mattress, a box of eggs, and a whole outfit in one place. I mean, it's very convenient. But in life, you know, most of us like things to be easy and smooth, and we don't like problems or issues or unexpected occurrences. Yet, at those, you know, as those who, who fully follow the Lord, we must live and move with open hands. And I love, always think of Proverbs 16:9, which says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And you know, we can plan all day long, but if the Lord's not involved in leading our plans, then we're wasting our time. We're really, we're wasting, wasting our lives. So we must try not to be so stringent in our plans that we cease to leave room for the Lord to alter our schedule. Like a few weeks ago, I helped my old boss at my last job for their annual uh, conference in Biloxi. And I was there to take pictures of the golf tournament, the, um, the banquet, the sessions of the conference. And at, at the hotel, there was three out of the six elevators that were broke down. And so every, every time we had to go upstairs or downstairs, there was a big old line, like a huge line. And, and so when I was finally able to get into the elevator a few times, I, I barely fit. Like one time, I was actually impeding the door from closing. It kept going, dun, dun, and I didn't know I was in the way. And some guy's like, hey, I think you have to move it. He like pulled me back a little bit, and then it actually closed. But there was no room. And so we must leave room for the Lord to work, to lead, to move. And the worst action we could take as Christ followers, I think one of the worst actions, is to crowd out Christ from our lives. I don't think we intentionally or conscientiously do this. It's just that we fill our cups with other things that are not of the Lord. We crowd out the spiritual with the natural or or the superficial. It's time to empty that cup, fill it back with the things of God, because, you know, sometimes divine leading looks like a hassle. You know, sometimes divine leading looks like an interruption. Yet divine leading should usurp all other planned schedules and clever ideas. I mean, it's like going on vacation and you hit a slowdown on the interstate. Come to find out there's an accident up ahead. You're stuck for like two hours in that traffic on the way to go get some relaxing done, right? And so you're stressed there just waiting. You can either complain about it or you can ask the Lord what he wants to teach you through it. No, maybe it's a lesson on patience. Maybe you're supposed to listen to a Christian podcast, a sermon that the Lord has for you. Maybe it's a slowdown, you know, it's for you to slow down, to realize, take a breath, God will work it all out. I used to say this to my youth group years ago when I was a youth pastor, everything you go through, you'll grow through. And in other words, we're going to face inconveniences and difficulty, difficult situations. We just will. But while we're here on this earth, we will go through storm after stormy. I do believe God uses 
those intense trials to shape and sharpen our faith. As we get into these verses, we're going to see that a man named Simon would have all his plans altered, and he had no choice in the matter. It must have been difficult for him, and I believe he probably thought this was the, the worst thing until he carried the cross of Jesus. He carried that cross beam, and he saw Jesus up close. He had an encounter with Jesus, as we'll see. When we see Jesus, how many of us know everything can change? Everything. Jesus faced scourging, beatings. Now he was being led to the cross of Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull. And so what we're going to continue to see is God's will come into fruition in these verses. God often uses pain in order to get us to a place where we just say, yes, Lord. And God can use difficulties to help us to learn how to depend on him. God can use storms to teach us to endure and persevere. The goal of our lives is to do what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So as we're going to see, Jesus literally was about to go to the cross, yet Simon of Cyrene, a foreigner, was forced by the Romans to carry Jesus' cross for him. And we'll get into the significance of that. So let's pray, and then we'll get into these verses this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time to gather together. Lord, we thank you for the truth. We just want it to be integrated into our heart, the core of who we are, so that we can live these things out, so that we can learn from you, Lord, so that we can stay on the road of your will, the path that, of the purpose that you have for us, God. And so we just pray that you'd speak loud and clear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, chapter 23 of Luke, verse 26 says, as they, led, as they led Jesus, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon of Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. So number one, bearing the cross. So Jesus was tried before Pilate, remember? Sent to Herod, then back to Pilate, right? And so, like, what do we do with this guy? He was proclaimed innocent, though. And yet when it came to releasing a prisoner, remember the religious leaders wanted Barabbas released. You know, they released a guilty man and they condemned an innocent man. And so there's a good song, I think it's a good song, by a Christian artist called I Am Barabbas. I, I would look it up, it's really good. It, um, and in a sense, we are Barabbas. If, if you don't think you're Barabbas, then maybe you're a religious leader condemning Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So before Jesus was beaten in the courtyard, he would have already been weakened. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus was praying, remember, it was intense and an emotional and stressful time. So stressful that Jesus sweat great drops of blood. Remember these verses, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tested and tempted and faced trials and pain that we can't even imagine. We can't even imagine. These aren't just words on paper. This was a reality. And, and the more real we see these historical facts, the more we'll be affected by the work of Jesus on the cross. Now, Also, before we ever use the phrase, no one understands what I'm going through, and I know it's a common phrase that we use as Americans, right? I would just say stop yourself, remind yourself that Jesus understands what you're going through, perfectly understands it's like when you, 
meet someone and, and, and they're, they're facing like the same exact thing as you at the same time, it's comforting <laughs> because they get you. They, the, the Lord gets you even more than you get yourself. You understand? Like Jesus faced betrayal, mocking, verbal abuse, physical torture, and death. Now, before Jesus took the cross, he was whipped and scourged just like Pilate had ordered. Matthew, Mark, and John focus more on the scourging than Luke does, but for the Romans, scourging was a regular occurrence that was a, a precursor to execution. And now the Romans' aim was to beat the prisoner just short of death to a point where they were so weak that they had nothing left. And there are a few things on the end of the whip that they would have used on Jesus. Pieces of iron, sheep bones, and other sharp shards were tied into the end of this whip. The soldiers would whip the criminals with full force, holding nothing back. And one theologian, a historian, wrote, the whip would cut into the skin and subcutaneous tissues, and the lacerations would tear into the underlying muscles and produce ribbons of bleeding flesh. Pain and blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shock. The extent of blood loss would determine how long the victim would survive the cross. So Jesus faced physical, mental abuse by the religious leaders and the Romans, and, and yet, yeah, the Lord knows what it's like to be hated, rejected, and mocked. They did not give Jesus food or water, and he was not allowed to sleep or rest. So before the crucifixion, Jesus was already in seriously weaker, severe state. So it says, now they led him away, as they led him away. So Jesus was forced to carry the cross beam that he was to be hanged upon. So the weight of the vertical and the horizontal part of the cross was about 300 pounds. The cross beam that Jesus was made to carry was between 75 to 125 pounds. Now the way the Romans would do it was that they would basically strip the victim naked, tie his hands to the cross beam, and make him carry it to the place where he'd be crucified. And the victim would carry their own death device, if you will. And the upright beam, they, they were already in the ground outside the city walls, a place where everyone could see, like public, a public road or on top of a hill. Now, the Romans were always trying to intimidate the people, so they'd instill fear in them. And it's very likely, think about this, it's very likely that as Jesus was ministering for that three and a half years, that he passed the specific upright beam that he would later be hung upon. The Assyrians, you know, the Assyrians invented crucifixion, the Persians perfected crucifixion, and the Romans mass-produced crucifixion. Up to this point, it wasn't just Jesus who was crucified. There were 30,000 people had been crucified in Rome. So again, it was a normal thing for the Romans to do this. Jesus wasn't the only one crucified, but he was the only one crucified that would die and rise again, leading to forgiveness and a future in heaven with him. So it was part of the prisoner's humiliation that he carried his own cross to the place where he'd be executed. And apparently they saw that Jesus was unable to go on because of the wounds and the weakness, so the soldiers forced Simon of Cyrenian to carry the cross for him. Uh, Cyrenian, or it's also called Cyrene, was located in Tripoli, or North Africa, in present-day Libya. And it's very likely that Simon was visiting Jerusalem for Passover, like the other three million people, from his native land 800 miles away. He didn't know anything about Jesus up to this point that we know that's recorded. Imagine traveling to a faraway place that you've saved money for, expecting to participate and celebrate Passover just to have some joy and celebrate, and the Romans pull you aside, force you to carry another man's 100-pound crossbeam to the place of his execution. Talk about an unexpected situation. Simon had to obey or 
he would be the next one to be crucified. The Romans were ruthless. So they laid hold of Simon that he'd bear the cross of Jesus. You know, some believe Simon was chosen because he was a foreigner, so he more noticeable in the crowd. But again, it doesn't matter. The Romans wanted everyone to see the consequences of messing with them. Even though we know Jesus was sinless and he was innocent. The Romans made everything a spectacle. But here's something that I find amazing. That carrying one's own cross was a sign of guilt. It was a sign of guilt. And so think about this. Jesus didn't carry his own cross. Simon carried it for him. Why? Because Jesus was not guilty. He was innocent, totally sinless. Simon came to Jerusalem to celebrate. Instead, he was being humiliated on the most holy day. Yet what good, what's good about the situation is that it puts Simon in close contact, proximity to Jesus. It reminds me of Peter. I always think of this. I always think of this when people start drifting or wavering away from the Lord. I think Peter denied Jesus because of Matthew 26, 58. It says he followed Jesus from a distance. Simon Peter, who told Jesus, I will go to prison and death for you. He followed Jesus at a distance. And that's, he denied him after that. And then, you know, came fear for Peter. Fear leads to fleeing. He was gone. Peter denied Jesus. He was not around at this point. But here's Simon of Cyrene carrying Jesus' cross for him. I like what uh, G.K. Chesterton said. He said, a man who has faith must be prepared not only to be a martyr, but to be a fool. It's absurd to say that a man is ready to toil and die for his convictions when he's not even ready to wear a wreath around his head for them. Jesus was mocked. He was ridiculed and was being led up to be crucified. Peter was not ready to face what his words affirmed. <laughs> Yet after the resurrection, remember Jesus had risen, it changed Peter. The whole disciples, they were all changed. They were ready to go. They wanted to preach boldly. They didn't cower away anymore. We need to let the resurrection encourage us to fully go forward in the faith that God has blessed us with in the first place. So, you know what's amazing? There's a strong biblical evidence, and I love this, that Simon of Cyrene was saved. I mean, Simon literally carried the cross of Jesus. He was right by him, seeing him up close. And Mark chapter 15, verse 21 says, And they compel one Simon of Cyrene who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Mark identifies Simon as the father of two men who assume Mark's Roman readers would know. And then Romans 16, 13, Paul writes, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. So apparently, Simon and his sons became well-known Christians who were held in high honor by the church. And one thing, if that's true, one thing that shows us is that when you see Jesus, again, everything can change. And I know many of you in here, you saw Jesus. He, you had an encounter with him. Everything changed. Simon went from surface-level religious devotion to salvation and a relationship with Jesus. I like this. One commentator wrote of Simon, he did both a physical and a spiritual about face that morning, and it transformed his life. And so you guys, can I remind you that, that God can and often does use unexpected and extremely difficult situations to bring people to the Savior. Let's not despise change. Let's embrace it. I know it's hard, especially since, yeah, God is unchangeable, but he is in the business of radically changing the hearts and lives of those he created from sinners to sons and daughters. 
You've probably heard this said, that when you come to the end of ourselves, that's the beginning of God. Sometimes hitting rock bottom is the only way people will look up to God and cry out to him and receive him. They say that when an earthquake happens, look to one point to stay stable and safe. You know, and, and, and we grew up in California, and it's true. Focus on one point, you f- won't fall over. You know, like you'll be able to get your bearings. Without looking to Jesus, the earthquakes of life will take people out. We'll stumble, we'll fall. When people's lives are shattered and they realize nothing fulfills, oftentimes that's when they look to truth. That's when they look for help. That's when they look to Jesus. God can even use humiliating moments to bring us to humble adoration of the only one who really rescues and saves. One of the ways I believe that we can keep our priorities in order is to remember, again, it's so simple, but just remember that we're saved. Remember our salvation. In the midst of genuinely repenting, remember David in Psalm 51? Psalm 51, verse 12, David said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. David lived many months of unconfessed, in unconfessed sin, and he felt misery and spiritual defeat. He wanted to, again, have the joy of salvation. And that's the thing. Repentance is necessary, was necessary, which is the contents of all Psalm 51. But when you remember the rescue of Jesus, we're going to rejoice, and our countenance will be heightened. Maybe some in here need to remember the joy of your salvation. Go back to those simple things that you're actually rescued and saved by the Lord. Is there anything better than being saved? I don't think so. I don't think there is. So verse 27, it says, And a great multitude of people followed him, followed Jesus, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughter of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? So number two, grieving for the people. So when public executions happened, crowds would start to gather quickly. It was a spectacle. And in Jerusalem during this time, during Passover, there's a lot of people, estimated about two and a half million people. So in this crowd that was observing this execution, a group of women mourned and and lamented and sympathized really with Jesus. And what's interesting is that in the gospel accounts of Jesus, no woman was ever an enemy of Jesus. Actually, Jesus' teachings and his example had done a lot to dignify and elevate women, especially in this culture in the Middle East in the first century. Jesus was born of a faithful woman. Jesus' death was witnessed by grieving women, and his resurrection was first announced to a woman who at once had it, was demon-possessed, but Jesus healed. So as Jesus saw these women mourning over the state of their nation, Jesus used this as, a, as an opportunity to teach them and to teach us, I believe. While these women were grieving over his death, Jesus was grieving over this terrible destruction of an entire nation, a judgment that is mentioned in Luke 19. And history supports the fact that women and the children suffered the most because of the nation's sin and turning away from the Messiah. History tells us that the Romans starved the Jews into submission, and so hungry men actually took food from their suffering wives and children and even killed and ate their own flesh and blood. The horrors of the siege of Titus was so bad that men wished, like Jesus says, for the mountains to fall on them. They just wanted to die. 
it's hard to imagine this level of deprivation, but this is what happened. And, and this is what Jesus is focusing their attention on. You know, while, while Jesus ministered on the earth, Israel was like a green tree. It was a time of opportunity, right? And it should have been a time of fruitfulness. But the nation rejected him. And Israel became a dry tree fit for the fire. And so in condemning Jesus, the people, they were only condemning themselves. Essentially, Jesus is saying, don't feel sorry for me. My agony, my agony is about to end. But you in Jerusalem will go through very difficult times because you rejected the one who is the Messiah. And that's the thing. Lack of faith really does lead to a breaking down of spiritual strength, lack of wisdom, and a future that is unstable and unsettled. Having faith in the Savior leads to a firm foundation, a secure future, a heavenly confidence, a stability, and a peace that this world does not offer. Nothing can take the place of knowing Jesus and living for him. No one else can be our functional Savior. Your spouse is not your Savior. Don't put your expectations upon them to fulfill what only God can fulfill. Then you'll be let down. You'll be discouraged. Look to Jesus. He is the only one that can fulfill. What, what I find amazing is that Jesus, after being scored severely, being unrecognizable, like Isaiah says, he was still speaking and sharing and warning those who were mourning for him. He was still aware of helping others. <laughs> he was sharing truth until the very end. I just want to close with a few exhortations based on these verses, just practical things, you guys, that we can kind of hopefully take to heart and remind ourselves. Number one, don't despise those unexpected situations and encounters. They may be from the Lord. You may Initially, right away, we're like, frustration. What in the world? This is not going as I planned it. But how many of us know that hindsight is 2020 because we look back and go, oh, that one day when that thing happened, that had to happen for this to happen. That, God moved in that. Okay, I see. I, I could have saved myself from some frustration, some stress, some anxiety, and just been like, okay, Lord, if this is what you have, this is what you have. Right? We'd be, we would save so much stress if we just said, Lord, you alter my plan. Here's my, here, these are my plans. Here they are. Lay them all out. Right, But you change what you want to change. You take out. Maybe you just want to rip the whole thing up and say, here's your new plans. Don't despise the unexpected situations. Number two, know that if you're going through extreme storms and major difficulties, the Lord understands and sympathizes sorry, with your hardships. He understands. He gets it. We shouldn't say, no one understands. He understands. He understands better than us. Sometimes we have, to want, we have to ask him, Lord, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I put myself through this? And he will reveal our own hearts to us. So he understands. He gets it. And that's comforting. Number three, make Jesus the center of your affections. Make him the focus of your life. Put him first daily. Seek first the kingdom of God. <laughs> Oftentimes, I mean, it's so easy to other things start to creep up, and we're like, well, this, this, and all of a sudden, we're like, where's Jesus? Like, he's way down on the list. He's number 11 or 12. Like, he needs to be first, priority, number one, the author and the finisher of our faith. Number four, heed the words of Jesus and know he is who makes things clear in your life. People can help. Prayer helps. Fellowship helps. But when we seek the Lord, I, I believe that's where true clarity and confirmation comes from, seeking the Lord in prayer on a daily basis. Not a legalistic thing, but it should be, should be a desire of our heart to actually foster our relationship with the Lord, and that happens through prayer. 
Number five, keep being proactive in the faith. Because we know James says faith without works is dead. God's word's living and active, so our faith should be living and active as well. And that's why it's called walking by faith. Walking is an action. It doesn't say, you know, laying down on the couch by faith. Right? It says walking by faith. Walking, it's an action word. You know, idle faith is ineffective. Of course, there are things that we wait upon. Lord, I'm waiting upon that promise from you. But in the meantime, we don't just sit around and wait for everything else. We still put our hand to the plow and get to work and do what God's called us to do. So Jesus was led up to Calvary to be hung on a cross, on a tree. When Eve ate from the tree of life, sin and death entered the world. Jesus, whose death would lead to eternal life, was put up on a tree. Restoration, forgiveness. When God took out a piece of Adam from the side and made Eve, we think of the soldier put the spear into the side of Jesus, blood and water poured out. Forgiving Eve, who was deceived in sin. Like, again, restoration is all about restoration and forgiveness. When Adam and Eve sinned, remember thorns and thistles would come out of the earth. You know, they put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head and blood poured down his face and down his back. Restoration, forgiveness, and freedom. God provided the one to be sacrificed to restore what was wrecked way back in the garden when sin entered the world. So we can think of those words, restoration. God wants restoration, forgiveness, and freedom. And this is why we can, we always should say thank you, Lord. You know, as I was studying this, I'm so glad I got through this, because literally as I was studying these passages and thinking about, you know, the state that Jesus was in, I was like, I like wept like three times. I'm like, Lord, how am I going to say this? Because this is real. Again, this isn't just a historical, abstract, ambiguous fact. This is like, this really happened. Like, think about all the pain that he went through. That, that pain was gone through for you, willingly. Because he loves you. He created you because of love. He went to the cross because of love so that you can be forgiven, so that you can spend eternity with him. I mean, that's real. This is real. I know sometimes we just kind of go through the motion sometimes as Christians. We take things for granted, but we can't take the cross for granted. This really happened. And so as he went up to be crucified, you know, Simon carried that cross, and we're called to carry that cross, right? To live out the will, the plan, the mission that God has for us, to stay in the middle of God's will. God has a plan for you. It's such a good plan. It's so better than your plan and then my plan. Like, we can come up with, like, oh, this is brilliant. It's not compared to what God has for you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life from season to season. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to just seek him for each chapter, seek him for each paragraph, seek him for each sentence. He has a whole book already written of your life, you know, and uh, the more we seek him, the more clarity he gives to us. And again, we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's never forget the cross. Let's never forget the pain that Jesus went through in order to bring forgiveness, freedom, restoration to our hearts. Because it, it wouldn't happen without Jesus. Amen?